Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome into the Step Back Pod. I'm Ethan Skolnick. You can find me at Ethan J. Skolnick and at Five Rupees in Sports. My co-host here is Brady Hawk. You can follow him at Brady Hawk 305 every week. Starting on Mondays, we go around the NBA with some of the really good stories and some of the things that are not going so well around the league. We usually get into two or three teams in depth. We're going to do that today. We're going to get into the Hawks a little bit, one of the surprises in the East. They're actually now in third place in the Eastern Conference as we record this on Monday, which I don't think many people were anticipating. We're going to get into the Minnesota Timberwolves who mortgage their future for a player who can't stay on the court in the fourth quarter and doesn't seem to fit very well with their highly paid power forwards. We'll get into the Wolves uh, today and talk about whether or not they can turn this thing around. The West has gotten very crowded at the top. Minnesota is not one of those top teams right now. And then we're going to talk to Sean Hyken, who actually uh, does some stuff here at Fansided and around the country. He used to cover the Chicago Bulls. That's how I met him. He now covers the Portland Trailblazers. And as we speak, they are in first place in the Western Conference. And Brady and I got a chance to see them in Miami recently. So we'll do a deep dive on why this has worked so well for the Blazers, a team that a year ago looked like they might not be able to retain Dame Lillard long-term. Now he's on a team that could be a top-four seed in the Western Conference and maybe even get back to the Western Conference Finals as they did a couple of years ago. But before we get into... All of that, we'll get into first steps here on the Step Back Podcast. All right, number one, Steph Curry. Is he getting better? There seems to be some actual evidence for this, even though his team is not playing particularly well. Brady and I talked a lot about the trouble that they're having on the bench, and Draymond Green has acknowledged they've got two different timelines there with some of their veteran players like him and Curry and Clay, and then some of the young players who've been getting a look and not doing all that well. But Steph Curry right now in his illustrious career, is shooting better from an effective field goal percentage than he ever has. His effective field goal percentage right now is 65%. He's shooting 53% overall, 43% on threes. He's actually shooting 65% on twos now. He's never shot that well before in his career. Still 92% from the free throw line. Career best, 6.8 rebounds per game. 
6.5 assists, which is a number that's uh, getting closer to where he was early in his career when he was asked to do more of that, all the way back in 13, 14, is, and, and 14, 15 is the last time he's been up there uh, in assists. And his turnovers are actually down from the past three seasons. He's now at 2.7 turnovers a game while averaging 32.8 points per game. This is a guy who, for his career, is at 24.4. Brady, is this the best version at age 35? Is this the best version of Steph Curry? That's a tough question because we've seen so many different versions of Steph that it feels like uh, it's tough to rank them, but it's right up there. Like it really is in terms of you you were just touching on some of the numbers and uh, I was looking at some of the stuff and this has something to do with, as you said, kind of the Warriors bench and everything kind of being bad, but they have a 94.7 offensive rating when he's off the floor. Like when he's not on the floor, they fall apart on the offensive end. And that's what's wild because they have guys like Jordan Poole and they have guys like uh, certain talented offensive players on this team some of the other numbers you mentioned, the, the twos, but the fact that he's been very, very good around the rim. Like, it's not only that he's shooting very good from three, but he's shooting 72% less than 10 feet from the basket. Like, he's been very good finishing-wise. Uh, and I just, <laughs> for a defense, how do you guard the greatest shooter ever when he's shooting 72% less than 10 feet from the basket? There's no way you can. And then, the obviously, you touched on three-point shooting. Uh, a good portion of those are just coming on pull-ups because he's just obviously a high-usage guy and he's playing it out of that high pick-and-roll 48% on pull-up threes. Like when you're counteracting and kind of combining all that stuff together, that's just an offensive player, obviously, that I just don't know how you stop. And obviously right now, uh, he's second in the league in points per game, only behind Luka, who's just absolutely going nuclear. And we know how their offense runs based on one player. So the fact that Steph is up there at the top right now, is he going to sustain that all year in terms of that top score? It's possible, but it's we'll see how that translates, I guess, for the Warriors winning once. Well, I said a couple of weeks ago that the MVP race was down to two people, which is likely Giannis and Luca. But there's two guys have entered the chat here. Steph is one if they can actually get their win loss record where it should be. And another guy is Jason Tatum. I want to get into the Celtics here. They're having a historical season offensively in terms of their offensive rating. This would be the best offensive rating of all time. And all that really happened this offseason, yes, they added Malcolm Brogdon, whose numbers are pretty good. They changed coaches, not by choice, but of course, because of the controversy uh, with Ime Adoka. Uh, but the rest of this, like most of these guys are pretty much where they were. Marcus Smart is still shooting sub 40% overall. Al Horford is pretty much Al Horford. Grant Williams, uh, you know, is, is shooting really well. He's 50% from three on low volume. Uh, Derek White's still been somewhat inefficient. Sam Hauser has gotten some minutes in their rotation. Uh, but really, this is about Jason Tatum, I, in my view, Brady. I mean, he's gone from a guy who was a 44, 45% shooter. He's now shooting 50%. He's at 39%, averaging almost 10 three-point attempts per game. Well, he's, he's 87% from the line. And then, of course, all the other numbers are good, too. The rebounds, the assists, he's up of, of, over four assists uh, per game. And he's averaging 32.3 points per game. Is he the reason... Is he the only reason why their offense has been so good? I'd say he's the primary reason, but I wouldn't say he's the only reason because uh, we almost seen this flip because last year this was how dynamic their defense was when Robert Williams was healthy, obviously. Uh, Robert Williams being out means that they can play smaller this year, and I think that actually leans in Tatum's direction because he has more space and he has uh, more room to operate off drives. He has, you know, Teams can't just double as freely as they used to. Uh, and it helps that the fact that they've embraced his play style, like they're shoot, they're number one in three point attempts this season. Like they're fully embracing this this drive and kick type play style. They're going to get shots of the third and percentage from three. Uh, and then obviously it helps when you're talking about the certain guys, like you just mentioned, Grant Williams. That playing smaller means more minutes for him in the front court. 
Uh, and he's shooting 55% on spot of threes. Okay. Like that type of stuff is not sustainable, but that's the type of process that you'd want to see. And then you touched on Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, and I always say that the type of kind of elite uh, type drivers kind of co-align with the stuff that we're seeing uh, with perimeter shooting. So it's like Malcolm Brogdon being able to add into the fold of just getting to the rim time and time again. I think half of his shot attempts a season are around the rim. Like when you add that type of attacker, it just opens everything up for the offense. So I'd say Jason Tatum deserves a ton of the love because 32 points a game, 50% shooting and all that type of stuff. And he's just being efficient Jason Tatum. But it helps that I think that what we're seeing the offensive run around him is kind of what's helping, I guess, propelling that. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, let's get into the third one here on First Steps. We've talked about Desmond Bain a little little bit already, and he's doing this on a really good team. Like, this breakout is happening. But the other two guys in the top 20 in scoring where, obviously, you can see the progress here, but they're on teams that are not supposed to contend. Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Keldon Johnson. I was stunned by Keldon Johnson's numbers. Like, he's blown up this year for the Spurs. As these teams get better, provided that these players are still there, which in SGA's case, there's a lot of noise maybe about the Raptors going after him. He obviously has uh, Canadian roots. He would change their trajectory a little bit, and he fits a little bit more on the timeline. Um, Which of these two guys is this sustainable for if the teams, you know, progress quicker, I think, than their rebuilds would have suggested? OKC in San Antonio. Well, when you're talking about sustainability, I you probably have to leave Kellen Johnson because he's averaging 24 compared to you're asking SGA to keep up in a 30 point per game season. But I think I would lean SGA just because uh, I think the talent's there. I think the the experience in general has been there, even though he's been on a losing team. I think experience just uh, learning defenses because 
he's been the only option on this Thunder team year in, year, in, year out. Uh, and he's seen every coverage. Like, they're, they're switching against him. They're dropping against him. And he's still, no matter what they do, he's able to get to the room consistently and just absolutely be efficient and get buckets. Like, there's, no, there's not many guys in this league that can do off the attack or off the drive, off the dribble like he can. So uh, it's tough to add this other stuff in, like 48% on pull-ups, 61%, like I just said, less than 10 feet from the basket. And then this is not like these other numbers when you talk about efficiency around the basket. Like he's doing that on super high volume because obviously you see the shot attempts he's getting in OKC. You see the the uh, uh, kind of the uh, attention he's getting from defenses and he's still able to keep that efficiency up. So like sustainability and kind of moving forward, like, if, if I I hate to talk the trade round and then just predict forward, but like SGA helps so many teams. Like when you're talking about a score of this caliber, a driver of this caliber, like the Raptors would make a ton of sense. Like you're talking about a defensive group like that and add this guy into the fold. Like uh, I just, I'm a big fan of SGA in general. No, Miami could use somebody like that. Welcome to the playback where Brady Hawk breaks down two teams from around the NBA, one East, one West, one that's doing well. We call that the high step. And one that's not doing so well, we call that the misstep. First, the high step thing. And I, look, I, I was a little shocked by this, too, because, you know, Atlanta is a team I don't know whether to take seriously or not. Um, you know, we saw them get all the way to the conference finals a couple of years ago, but that was a strange circumstance postseason, kind of right out of COVID. It wasn't a bubble season, but, you know, they, they caught some favorable matchups in terms of, of the playoffs. Trey caught fire last year. We saw them make the playoffs on a play-in where they had to actually come back against Cleveland in that game to make it. They play against the Heat, and Gabe Vincent erased Trey Young. I mean, Trey shot under 30% from the floor uh, in that series, and they really didn't have anybody else to go to. They make one acquisition, and I guess this is something we'll talk a lot about here on Step Back. It seems like when you go to get the guy, it's worth trading the picks because we've seen this with Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland. I know that... Uh, they've lost four straight as we speak, but they still have a, a top four overall rating in the league. They've lost some close games lately. Uh, their last four, I think three of them were, were essentially decided on the, you know one of the last two or three possessions. But that seems to have worked um, in terms of going to get the guy. And then DeJounte Murray, it seems to have worked also. We talk about Keldon Johnson and whether he survives this, this rebuild in San Antonio that Pop's doing. DeJounte Murray, I thought he would be a good fit next to Trey because he covers up a lot of Trey's weaknesses. I did not think he would score like this. This is, especially on that team, because it didn't seem like that's what they needed the most. But they are third in the East, as we're speaking right now. What has worked? Yeah, it's pretty wild to see because, for one, I'll say the two teams that we're discussing right now are we're going to talk about the Hawks now and the Timberwolves next. And it's pretty funny that they're actually connected in ways where you're talking about making a move for another point guard that could have been clunky. And then the Timberwolves obviously making a move for another big man that could have been clunky. And we're kind of seeing two different results as we currently stand. Like the point guard one in terms of the Hawks, as we're talking about right now, uh, I was skeptical about the offense. Like you kind of said, like we, we know that they, he was going to kind of, Murray was going to clean up the things defensively. We know what he could do navigating screens at the point of attack. Uh, but the offenses look good. Like they've, they've embraced a certain play style. Uh, they're pretty much just spamming pick and rolls because they have two elite pick and roll guys in Murray and Trey Young, and they have two pretty dynamic rollers because they have Capella and Collins. So they have a little bit of diversity there. Uh, but I didn't expect Murray to be getting this same type of usage, I'll say, like as we saw in San Antonio before. Like he's getting the same type of kind of shot profile that we saw previously. Uh, the play style that I was talking about that they kind of embrace, like 
a team with Trey Young not being super high in three point anything is pretty surprising to me. Like the fact that they're bottom five in, in I think they're twenty seventh three point percentage, uh, bottom three in, in three point attempts. Like they're pretty much just continually to get in that in between game for Dejounte Murray. It's the mid range pull up. Like if you get him in on two on one, he's going to hit that mid range pull up time and time again. Uh, and Trey Young, we've had discussions before about kind of him off the ball and, and kind of embracing that play style, but he's still an elite cat and shoot player. Uh, if you can't help off of him. So that alone helps DeJounte Murray when he's coming off those type of curls. Uh, and then obviously on the flip side of it, uh, Trey Young as an in-between game, like we can talk about Trey Young as a shooter, but his in-between game with that floater and everything, uh, that just unlocks everything else. The interesting part about this is like, I don't even think we've seen peak Trey Young yet. Like we're, we're seeing the Hawks be good, but he has been super inefficient. Like he has not had played up to his standards. Uh, even DeJounte Murray has had inefficient games. And that's what kind of scares me about this Hawks team is I think their inefficiency. And I know we're looking forward to the playoffs and way too far ahead right now, but like inefficiency on a certain night can really hurt this team because it's, it's kind of like they're either going to hit a bunch or they're not going to hit many. Like, and that's kind of the direction they'll go. Um, but at least last year, I don't feel like they had the same might, like the process in general where they embrace a certain play style. This year, they are, like I just said, first in mid-range attempts in general. Uh, but Trey Young, is, as much as we talk about Dejounte Murray, he's still second in shot attempts in the league. Like He's still embracing this, this total thing in general. So uh, I'm pretty surprised, I guess, with, with just this backcourt in general, how they're doing this. Uh, and the fact that they actually work together. Like I, Once again, like I'm going to say, we're going to talk about this next with the, with the Minnesota thing. But for them to figure this out so quickly and just kind of embrace it this quickly, that's that's very positive for them moving forward. Let's talk about the defense, though, with them, too, because that's been an issue at times. Uh, there, there's there were really a couple of issues with this team. One uh, was that the Trey John Collins fit didn't seem ideal uh, for a little while. And that's been one of the reasons that they've discussed uh, trading Collins. Like, well, you know, Collins looks like he should be a good defender, but he's not, I guess. I mean, he looks like he has the tools to be a good defender, but he doesn't emphasize that side of the floor defensively though, are they good enough to win a playoff series this year? I mean, they've gotten better. Uh, like I still feel like there's, there's enough, there's enough there to counteract the offense where you can win a playoff series like that. That would be my answer. I, they're still not going to be an elite defensive team by any means, just because in a playoff game, you know, they're going to hunt Trey. Like, you know, they're going to find certain matchups at times, but the fact that they are able to find a certain base where, the team in general is kind of picking up team defensive wise. Like you still have Hunter, you still have Murray now that's able to kind of navigate screens. Like I said, so I think there's enough to get by. Uh, but once again, like what we're projecting towards playoffs, it's tough to see them not be able to type of uh, hunt in general for these certain matchups. And obviously the depth has been different too. Like they have certain guys on their bench that can step up in general uh, and play different. They've been going to lineups, I guess with Trey in the bench and, and Trey just been high usage. So defensively, it's just kind of, it's kind of a rhythm thing. We usually talk about rhythm with shot making, but like right now they're kind of clicking in March, April. Are they still going to be clicking on the defensive end when it starts tying down late in the season? I guess that'll be something to monitor. All right, let's switch over to the Western Conference now. We don't mean to pick on the West here where we're picking teams that are struggling. Although actually we did Utah, Utah last week, so you can check out that episode. Uh, they've lost a couple of games since we talked about them. But in the Western Conference, the Minnesota Timberwolves have been one of those franchises, right? Like not as bad as Sacramento, but really they have Jimmy Butler to thank for, you know, being, you know, playoff worthy one year. And that's been about it. They have a young star in Anthony Edwards. He doesn't seem all that thrilled with some things this year. 
talked about wanting to go to small ball a little bit more. They went out and got a guy in Rudy Gobert. It's not that they went out and got him, Brady. It's <laughs> it's what they gave up for something that, like you said, we didn't know what the fit was going to look like. Carl Anthony Towns has never been uh, – we talk about John Collins. Carl Anthony Towns has never been a guy who's been committed to defense on a consistent basis like he should be, perhaps. We know about the offensive skill set. It almost seemed like they brought in Rudy so that they wouldn't have to rely on Cat to clean up things – inside on defense, but it's not as easy as saying, okay, one guy is not someone who's going to step out on the perimeter and the other guy is in cat. So, okay, this will work just because of that. It just, I've, I've watched them three times this year. And every time I'm like, you know, they'd be better if one of those two guys was off the court right now. Do the numbers bear that out? Definitely. Like this team has been, uh, if Carl Anthony Towns is on the floor and Gobert is off, like they're a very good offensive team and a very bad defensive team. If you put Gobert on the floor and take Towns off, they are a very good defensive team and a very bad offensive team. Like exactly what you would think would happen is basically happening here. Uh, and as much as they want to stagger these two, you didn't go out and trade all of these assets to get Rudy Gobert to stagger them with your team's arguably your best player. Like that's just not what's going on here. You, you got them. Uh, to be able to play next to him. You talked about defensively. You're asking Carl Anthony Towns now to guard more forwards. You have to guard the perimeter. You have to put him in different spots. I, I bring it up like a team like Miami who plays smaller. Uh, we always talk about the flip side of it, about like Miami having to guard up. Well, a team like Minnesota has to put Towns on a quick type of wing at the four against some of these smaller teams, and it's just tough. Like Now, now once again, Gobert's having to cover up. Now Towns moving all over the place, and you know he's not going to give that same amount of effort, I guess, in general. So this is all just kind of strange in general. Like the fit, like I just said with Atlantic, they figured it out quickly. And this is just tough to see them working through because as much as we could say, like a guy and you bring in Murray, he could be moved in different places. Like even though he's not used to it, you could put him off the ball and ask him to play catch and shoot. Rudy Gobert is going to screen and dive. Like that's what he's going to be offensively. You can't really change that. What we're seeing is that go, uh, Carl Anthony Towns is basically, even though he he kind of talks about being one of the best big man shooters ever, that's all he can do basically when Gobert's on the floor, it feels, because he has to be that weak side spacer. Uh, if he catches and drives, you can maybe get away with that, but he can't just roll because then you're all, all of a sudden you have two guys in the paint. It's funny because Anthony Edwards did talk about this before where you just mentioned about him saying, uh, which is wild to say that, that he plays better when they go smaller, when their team just put in all these picks to get go into like the big front court in general. It's just wild to say, but he was talking about how he has no spacing in the paint because there's just clogging it up. Like when tar- Towns basically just can't roll to the basket and dive constantly. So uh, it's a weird thing in general right now in Minnesota for that, but it's not even just... I don't even want to put everything on those two guys because the rest of the fold hasn't been great. Cause that whole starting lineup hasn't been good. Like that, they were one of the worst starting lineups in the league. The bench has actually been pretty decent, but I think they also expect a little bit more, I guess, from Anthony Edwards and, and D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. I thought Anthony Edwards, we talked about breakout guys this year. I, I thought he's the, the leap is going to come for sure, but I thought it was going to come in a dramatic way early this season. I mean, some of the things we're seeing from guys like Tyrese Halliburton and Tyrese Maxey, Desmond Bain, we talk about Keldon Johnson, we talk about Shea, like this new generation of stars. Anthony Edwards, to me, is more talented than all of them. Like, and I was, so after what we saw in the playoffs last year where the moment didn't look too big for him, I was expecting, you know, huge things from early this season. It hasn't happened. So, I mean, 
Ant says what he wants, which is one of the reasons I like him. You know, he just, I mean, he's, he's not going to hide his feelings about anything. I don't think it comes from a bad place. What do you make of the idea that, you know, about playing small? Because I mean, it does seem like it's a shot at the new guy, right? Like, so I mean, I mean, if they make the playoffs, which we, I think it was a foregone conclusion. They were going to make the playoffs and then we would have this conversation about whether or not you can play Rudy uh, down the stretch. But I, 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 how would they even play small, like I, I consistently? Like we say, the starting lineup is not working. Do they need to go add a piece off the bench? I honestly think when he's saying play small, he just means stagger the two constantly. Just don't play the two towers next to each other. Just play one of them at a time, and that'll technically be playing smaller. But I agree. Like he's literally, he's just speaking what he sees, and it's it is true right now. Uh, but the issue is that it's those two playing down low and kind of mucking things up is impacting the guards because you're talking about a team that has had terrible movement, terrible spacing. Uh, Anthony Edwards, just he had a big game the other night, uh, but it's through tough shot making. Like he's just, that's what he is. He's going to get to the rim. He's going to hit tough shots on the perimeter. D'Angelo Russell, I think uh, they need a better version of him because last night we saw a very, they got a win last night because D'Angelo Russell played really well and he's able to hit those pull-ups and he's able to do that type of stuff. And that kind of counteracts the spacing. Like if you're able to hit pull-up after pull-up, which I think this Minnesota team is actually 38% of pull-ups this season. Like they have to be a lot better in that realm when you're talking about two screeners constantly spamming and you coming off these screens. So uh, it's just a weird dynamic. I actually have a little bit more confidence in this team being able to bounce back just because they have the talent. Like they actually have the talent on the roster, which you can't say for a lot of teams in this league. Uh, But it's just about pushing through and finding these type of uh, different things to just build through because they just can't figure it out right now. And, and staggering just will never be the answer, especially this early in the season. Like they have to figure this out. They have to go through it to eventually get to that point. And uh, I guess they have to also, I'll say, embrace who their number one guy is because as much as we talk about Towns and Edwards dynamic, if you look at the shot attempts through these games, it is just most all over the place thing. Like there was two games, I think over their last three losses where Towns did not even have double digit attempts. Like, they have to embrace a certain profile here, I guess, to move forward. And then they can eventually, uh, I guess, tune up some of the stuff we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think that when we talk about whose team needs, needs to be, I think eventually it needs to be Edwards' team, which does raise the specter of whether or not you trade Carl Anthony Towns, since I don't know that you're trading Rudy Gobert if you just mortgaged your entire future for him. And then can you? how many re- picks do you recoup for Carl Anthony Towns if you're able to do that? All right, before we bring Sean on to talk about the Blazers, End of this season, who has a better record, New Orleans or Minnesota? Oof. Honestly, I think I'd actually say Minnesota because I don't trust the uh, just injury status of the Pelicans in general. Like, I think they're going to miss eventual games they're going to drop. That's why I said, like, I think the Timberwolves, like, as much as we talk about their issues now, I think they can actually bounce back. So, they're actually, that's actually a good question because I think they'll be in the same type of realm in the kind of top of the plane, bottom of the uh, one through six range. And now it's time for the step around where we bring on an NBA writer or media member from somewhere else in the country to fill us on everything that's going on. And we mix in a little rapid fire too. All right, we're going to get to our step forward segment next. We're going to bring on Hyken. You can subscribe to his podcast. Also, it's called the Rose Garden Report. I'm used to talking to Sean about the Bulls and Jimmy Butler and all that stuff. So I'm going to have to pivot here a little bit myself. Uh, to talk about this, but you can follow him at Hyken. That's H-I-G-H-K-I-N. 
on Twitter. He's now again on the West Coast. And, and Sean, I'm just going to start it here because uh, I'm watching the Blazers in Miami the other night. And I'm watching their wing play, which is obviously much improved to what it was before. Didn't Josh Hart used to be a point guard? Like, did he grow six inches or something like that? Because I, I, I don't know. It's like this. I mean, I know he's always guarded up a little bit, but he seems to me like he's a different player than I remember. And by the way, Sean, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always. And yeah, I remember, Ethan, you, you and I were both together at, at, at the same outlet. I was in Chicago and you were covering the heat. So this is also a bit of an adjustment for me too. But uh, to answer the question about Josh Hart, uh, yeah, I mean, the point that you just made about him always kind of playing bigger and guarding up is a good one. And it's also just kind of a function of what they're asking him to do because, you know, you in some of the other you know situations that he was in, you know, back when he was with the Lakers, for example, he was in the backcourt with Lonzo Ball and they were the two guards. And I think that was also sort of the case when they were together in New Orleans after the Anthony Davis trade. And then you trade him to Portland and, you know, throw out last year because they were tanking and he only got to play a couple of games before they made up an injury to shut him down. But uh, this year he's playing next to Damian Lillard and Anthony Simon. So he's going to play kind of more on that wing spot than as a guy bringing the ball up. And so you kind of, you see him kind of switching what, you know, what his role is and what he's asked to do. And, you know, he's versatile enough. And like you said, he can guard bigger guys. And so he can slide into that role pretty easily, but it's kind of why he's become such a valuable role player on a number of different teams over his career, because he, you know, maybe he came in as sort of a point guard and as initiator, but he's been able to pivot to, you know, having a different role. All right. I'm going to let Brady get in with a couple after this one, but I, I'll put you on the spot here a little bit. We watched CJ McCollum play with Dame for mm-hmm. years, obviously one of the best backcourts in the league. They got to the Western conference finals. They couldn't get further. It's it seemed like they uh, again didn't have the wing play weren't good enough defensively sometimes got taken advantage of. Anthony Simon steps in last year uh, kind of because they needed him to they didn't really like you said they were tanking but they gave him the opportunities. Uh, this year I'm looking at his numbers right now. I mean he's shooting 37 percent from three, 42 percent overall. He's averaging over 22. Uh, points a game and Dame obviously has, has come back with vengeance here shooting. I think his worst game of the year was against Miami. Actually, he was okay uh, against the heat is Anthony Simons ultimately a better backcourt partner for Dame Lillard than CJ McCollum was. Well, they're just, they're very different players. I get that the, you know, you'd look at it on the surface level and it's just, you know, Oh, it's, you know, you're swapping out one small scoring guard for another. And I, I totally get why there are concerns that you're kind of just, solving one problem by just creating the same problem. I kind I understand why the why it is that people uh have, you know, kind of brought that up since they made this change. But first of all, Anthony Simons is much more athletic than CJ ever was. And, you know, whereas CJ was kind of a similar type of player to Dame in a lot of ways where, you know, he was just kind of going to be a guy that ISOs a lot and that and that's just kind of what he looks to do. Simons, I think, is a lot more I would say of a willing playmaker than CJ was and a lot more able to get to the rim and draw contact than CJ was. And so I, I think that this is, there aren't that many similarities between them as players besides just their shooting ability and their maybe smaller size. So it's, it's not, it's not the exact same thing as the Dame CJ backcourt. And I think for what Dame, you know, where Dame is at at this point in his career and the kinds of players that they 
should be surrounding him with. I think Ant makes more sense than CJ did. I'm going to let Brady jump in with a couple here. Yeah, it's funny because we're so, I think, looking at the fact that their uh, top three guys are all averaging over 20. But I think something that interests me is just the fact that their role players are so differently and their bench is actually playing really well. Uh, Shaden Sharp is somebody I was going to ask you about because I think coming in, we expected somebody to be a little bit less efficient. Like the fact that he's shooting 52% from the field and 44% from three. Like how much does that dynamic add, I guess, to this team when you're talking about uh, Simons and Lillard could both run their lineups, but then all of a sudden this guy comes in and he's still able to be this type of scorer. It changes a lot. And to be honest with you guys, I had no idea what to expect from Sharp this season, just like nobody else really did because, you know, he's the number seven overall pick. And it, when, when they drafted him, it was a pure upside swing. It was a pure, we think this guy is the most talented guy on the board. And so we're just going to get the most talented guy we can get and worry about the fit and the long-term stuff later. And then it's, you know, and this, you know, this is coming off of him not playing at all his freshman season at Kentucky. And so there was really, you know, he hadn't really played competitive high level basketball since he was in high school. And then at summer league, he has a shoulder injury five minutes into the first game of summer league. And so you don't even get to see him at summer league. I'll be honest with you guys. I came into the season thinking maybe by the middle of the year to the end of the year, he'll crack the rotation. He'll develop, you know, enough to be able to, fine minutes somewhere, but I thought it was going to be kind of a long-term project just because he hadn't played in so long. And then in the preseason, I kind of still felt that way because he looked awesome in the two games against the game against Maccabi, which is obviously not an NBA team and the game against the Warriors G leaguers when they didn't play any of their main guy, he looked great in those two games, but then in games against actual NBA competition, he still looked pretty lost. And so I was shocked when on opening night, he was the se- yeah, Justice Winslow, who you guys are obviously very familiar with in Miami, has been their sixth man pretty much the whole season. But Shaden Sharp is their seventh man. He's the second guy off the bench most nights. And I was shocked when Chauncey Billups did that on the first night of the season. And then he came in and didn't look like he was totally lost, like a 19-year-old kid who didn't know how to play at the NBA level. He's looked ready pretty much since, you know, he, he'll have a couple of things here and there where like he'll make a foul that he shouldn't make, or, you know, he'll turn the ball over or he'll take a shot that he maybe should have passed up. He'll do a couple things here and there. But the thing that I've heard about him from Dame, from Chauncey, from other guys with the team is just how quickly he picks stuff up for someone his age where, you know, this is something as I was down in Santa Barbara for training camp where they, where they went for the first week of practices and they were, Guys were talking about how, you know, the first day of camp, he comes in, doesn't know any of the sets. You explain something to him one time and then just he's got it. He doesn't make the same mistake twice. And I think for someone that young and that inexperienced, people are really encouraged by how quickly he picks stuff up and how, you know, just the kind of, you know, the way that he approaches it. And you see just about once a game, he does something that, is just, I mean, you you saw that one dunk that he had that like had Vince Carter losing his mind on ESPN. And then Chauncey Billups at practice was asked like which player from his era he would compare him to. And the two names he brought up were Brandon Roy and Vince Carter. Like there's one or two plays every game that are just like eye popping like that. And then the rest of it, I think, is coming around a lot quicker than people expected. So I do think that having this guy that you drafted number seven overall, just based on pure long term upside being able to actually be a contributor on a team that's winning from day one. I think that does change the ceiling and the expectations a little bit. 
And you brought up Justice Winslow there when you were talking. And it's funny because uh-huh. obviously we are familiar with him. And we're even more familiar because in that, that game against Miami the other night, uh, they ran a little bit of that small ball five. And that basically propelled them in that fourth quarter to end up beating Miami because that absolutely stumped them. They were able to switch everything. They kind of took Bam out of certain a lot of the action they like to get into. Uh, and I was looking at some of the numbers here as well that like the, the defensive rating on this team falls apart when he's off the floor, which is pretty wild just how – uh, much pressure they put on him in those different spots. Just what have you seen, I guess, from him defensively in general? And how much does it kind of balance? Because you're looking at a lot of these bigger wings that can defend, which is the perfect balance, I'd say, for this backcourt. So Justice specifically, what has it changed? Well, Brady, you're right that in that Miami game, the uh, that Winslow at the five was a better matchup for, or, or you know, a better lineup than Nurkic was. And that was not the first time that that happened because in the opening night game against uh, Sacramento, the exact same thing happened. They, you know, were kind of struggling with, you know, Sabonis was a bad matchup for uh, Nurkic and they put Winslow in at the five and it completely changed the game. And having, I still think that the biggest concern roster wise for this team is their front court depth because they don't really have much rim protection outside of Nurkic, but the ability to go small and have someone like Winslow who, you know, Winslow has really been asked to play every position because in some you know there were a couple of those games where Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons were out at the beginning of this road trip and he was like their de facto point guard he was bringing the ball up the floor and then there are other lineups where he's been playing center so he's kind of been asked to play all over the floor and I kind of feel like he has found in Portland because you know when he was when he when you guys had him in Miami he you know, he was a lottery pick and he was kind of thought of as like, maybe he wants to be the guy or, you know, be the first option or second option on offense. And he's not really that guy. And then, you know, he goes to Memphis and he goes to the Clippers and he looks good at t- times when he just like can't really stay healthy. And so he can't really find a consistent role for himself. He's kind of found the perfect spot and the perfect situation for himself and what he is as a player and what his skill level is in Portland, where, he can be the guy that you can stick on a lot of different kinds of players defensively. And he, you don't want him as your initiator on offense all the time. But if there's a game where they don't have Dame or they don't have Simons available, as was the case a couple of times on this road trip, you can use him in that role sometimes. And so I think, I think he's kind of, they've, they've kind of, and, and they really miss him in that last game of the road trip against Dallas, which they, lost because they were just giving up a ton of open threes at the end of the game where, uh, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie hit a couple and there were a lot of different, you know, times where, you know, they were like doubling Luca and they basically had nobody else that they could, uh, stick on anybody else. And so they were just giving up a ton of open threes. They missed him in that game. So he's, he's been one of their most important players this season. All right. We're going to go through something here with Sean, because I, I want to read a, a list of ages and and then ask a question after this. Uh, 23, 28, 28, 19, 27, 26, 20, 22, 25, 22, 20, 21, 20. Those are the ages of the players on this roster entering the season other than Dame Lillard, uh, who is 32 years old. Do you think now, because there's been so much talk about whether Dame would stick out the process, and obviously he's been more loyal pretty much than any other player in the entire league. Do you think now with a new general manager, with Chauncey being established, even though that wasn't his first choice necessarily, we know Jason Kidd and others uh, might've been in the mix there. Do you think he's satisfied now staying in Portland? Does he, does he believe that he can win big with this core? I mean, again, nobody, nobody 30 years old on the entire roster other than him. 
I think he wouldn't have signed that extension if he wasn't happy with what was going on. And I can also tell you that with the new front office, he's much more involved. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say he's the one deciding, you know, what they do as far as personnel, because, you know, I, he's not the general manager, but he has, a, his, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. His input is considered and actually taken seriously more under this general manager than it was under the previous one. And you have to keep in mind that he back in the summer of 21, he was uh, he became really tight with Jeremy Grant when they were playing together on the Olympic team. And he was really pushing hard for them to trade for Jeremy Grant. Then they get that done. And really the whole time, I think Dame has just felt like this is the player that I am. And we need to surround me with, you know, athletic wings that can defend. And what have, what has Joe Cronin, the new general manager gone out and gotten pretty much exclusively since, uh, you know, he took over as GM athletic wings who can defend. So I think that the questions about whether Dame is happy in Portland, probably just for all intents and purposes went away when the person who was previously the general manager was fired in December about a year ago. And ever, I, I, I think that if that hadn't happened, we'd probably still be either Dame would not be in Portland right now, or we'd be talking about whether he was still going to stick around. But I think as soon as that happened and as soon as the new front office maybe showed a little bit more uh, interest and willingness to move off of certain things that maybe the previous regime was more dug in on as far as roster construction and certain players that were untradeable. I, th- I, I think that was kind of what changed things. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you about that person in a second. When we're this <laughs> rapid fire segment. I've been waiting, but, but I, I will say this. One of the skills of a great player is understanding what they need around them to cover up whatever weaknesses they may have. And I do think it's instructive based on the way that, uh, LeBron has had himself surrounded with particular players who do not fit his skill set <laughs> uh, in LA that Dame actually recognized what he needed and, and has actually worked with the new regime uh, to, to build that out. All right, we're going to do a quick step here. Uh, five quick ones for you, Sean. So uh, you got to go through them and, and, uh, and just answer the best that you can think of right as we start. Okay. You ready? Okay. All right. Uh, best center in the league right now is Jokic or Embiid? Jokic. Okay, that was very very simple. Uh, let's uh, let's let's go with this. Uh, Brady, you got one. You want to throw one in? This is where Man, you just, yeah, you just this is like where you take the other pod. You just forget that there's preps a thing. Oh yeah, um, I don't prep anything. That's this, this is this is how I operate here. Uh, let's go to this one, Sean. You know Jimmy Butler very well. You think he ever wins a championship in Miami? No. Okay. I'm just gonna clip that one for our Miami listeners, but you're, but you're, but you're probably I, accurate. I mean the 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 roster. I mean Jimmy's awesome, Bam's awesome. Like the the roster, I just think is too old, and there's too many other you know teams that like I just I don't see them having the talent and the personnel and the youth and the depth to compete with like Milwaukee and Boston and what they have right now. And I don't I don't I don't really see a path. What is the one star in the league that you would pair with Luca to win a title? Uh, Giannis. Okay, that's the one we picked a couple years ago too. It, it makes sense their relationship, but obviously at this stage, at this stage, that's not going to happen for sure. Right. Oh, so you're talking about like maybe realistically 
No, no, I was t- I, that, that was the answer I expected you to give. And that's that's yeah. accurate. I mean, I guess we could do the realistic one, too. Yeah, but- no, I don't. I don't know. I try to I try to stay away from like the speculating about which stars might become available, because I feel like a lot of uh media entities basically only exist to cover that stuff and i just don't really you know we're familiar with that down here yeah there's there's, there's, there's a lot of that goes on you and okay. you and you and i i think are both familiar with that no we no, we are for sure all right adam silver's in-season tournament is the stupidest idea in the nba since what i don't hate it really you're the one i don't like I'm okay. I think I'm okay with trying stuff for a couple of years. And then if it doesn't work going away from it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I get why people are, are against it. I mean, I'm, I'm all about anything that makes the regular season matter a little bit more. And I know it's not a totally apples to apples comparison because it's a younger league that's still kind of establishing its fan base, but They've been doing something pretty similar to this in the WNBA for the last couple of years. And it seems like from what I know, I'm a, only sort of a casual WNBA watcher, but I know a lot of people who cover it and are really, you know, follow that league intensely. And they've said that the players and the fans have all responded pretty well to what they call the commissioner's cup. And so, and it, you know, the players get up for it and there's a separate cup for it. And, I th- also think that for there are some teams like, you know, you're talking about this Portland team that you had me on to talk about. I don't think anybody's going to say that they think that that team is a championship contender. And then you look at some of these others like like the, like like what, what, what the Utah Jazz are doing right now is like the perfect team for something like this to exist for because. They came into the season with everybody expecting them to tank, and then even with this start that they have right now, nobody's expecting them to actually come out of the West and actually compete for a championship. But if you told this young team that nobody expected to do anything, that, hey, there's this cup that you can actually compete for in the, in the middle of the season, and you guys might be able to win something and prove some people wrong, I think those guys would get up for it. I think that they should have a separate cup and it should be for all the teams that are tanking to see who can lose it, who can be the most creative to lose a tanking tournament. That that's <laughs> I, I go totally the opposite from, from my friend Howard Beck and a lot of a lot of the others on this. All right. Well, that wasn't a rapid fire answer. That was a good answer. So I'll just give you this one. That person that you mentioned before, since you were the one that asked all the hard hitting questions on his way out the door. What's that relationship like with you and uh, the former GM? And Neil, we did not have one. OK, he he he. It was beneath his dignity to ever acknowledge anyone in the local media who couldn't do something for him. So that 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 relationship never it never really existed before that that press conference. And it certainly didn't after that. All right. That's fair. I think that's one of the things that some executives don't understand is that relationship building does matter, particularly when things start to go poorly. Uh, you know, it's not 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 that reporters are going to do your bidding, although we both right. know a lot of them who do a lot, of, a lot of them do. it. that's actually a conversation that I've had <laughs> with Joe Cronin, who I do have a much better relationship with than I did with with Neil. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, we're, we're noticing that in Miami right now. Um, not the heat. And uh, Neil, there's obviously long term relationships that have been built there. But he, with the Dolphins, he, uh, he, they were they're much more open this year. And it's funny. It's not stopping dignity. them from winning. Uh, no, you know, it's they, not. Right. They, they abandon the Patriot way and all of a sudden they're playing like the Patriots. So it's uh, it's fascinating. Well, how that well but the thing and the thing is, I think that also just extends 
not just to media, but we go back to Dame talking about, you know, you know, us talking about, you know, Dame being happy in Portland and Dame wanting to stick it out here. He signed the extension in July while we were all down in Vegas for summer league. And they had a press conference while we were down there for it, where he's, where it was him, Cronin and Chauncey Billups. And somebody asked Dame, like what made him decide to sign the extension? And he said uh, that he went to Joe Cronin and asked like, what's the plan? And Joe told him what the plan was. And Dame said something, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said something to the effect of, uh, when he told me what he was planning to do, I didn't get the vibe that he was BSing, and I'm usually pretty good at get sussing that out. And so it was it was really not hard to to you know figure out who he was maybe comparing him to. Transparency matters. Who knew? Thanks to Sean Hyken. Extension in July. Hyken. Thanks to Brady. While we Obviously were all down in Vegas today for Brady Hawk 305, and they uh, had we try to get to different teams every week, so while we were down there. As well, where he's, uh, next where week, him, Brady, Cronin, you know what, Brady, if, uh, if the Heat don't get out and of this somebody little asked funk Dame, that they're in, like, you and I might what actually made have to decide to sign the extension. Podcast, which I was trying and to avoid yeah. as long said, as we possibly can. Thank you, Sean. He Thank went Brady. to Joe Cronin and asked, like, and, what's uh, the we'll plan? And Joe told him what the plan was. And Dame said something. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said something to the effect of... When he told me what he was planning to do, I didn't get the vibe that he was BSing, and I'm usually pretty good at get sussing that out. And so it was it was really not hard to to you know figure out who he was maybe comparing him to. Transparency matters. Who knew? <laughs> Thanks to Sean Hyken. You can follow him at Hyken. Thanks to Brady, obviously for co-hosting today. But Brady Hawk 305. Uh, we try to get to different teams every week, so we will do that as well uh next week brady you know what brady if uh, if the heat don't get out of this little funk that they're in you and i might actually have to do a heat segment here on this podcast which i was trying to avoid yeah. as long as we possibly can thank you sean thank you brady thanks everybody at fan sided and uh, we'll be back next week you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.